Did you know that there are four major types of prophecy in the Bible? Most people think only of written prophecy. But there is also spoken prophecy, acted prophecy, and symbolic prophecy. For a fascinating discussion of these varieties of prophecy, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I have two of my great colleagues on the, in studio with me today. Uh, next to me is Colonel Tim Moore, who is our associate evangelist and my designated successor. And next to him, the bookend on the other end, is Nathan Jones, who is our internet evangelist. Folks, our topic for today is varieties of Bible prophecy. And I want to begin by sharing with you how I got into this topic many years ago. I was reading through the New Testament during my daily devotional time, and I'd come to the book of Hebrews. Now, I was looking forward anxiously to reading the first chapter there because it is one of my favorites. And that's because it's a chapter that exalts Jesus from the beginning of it to the end of that chapter. And the first verse of that book reads as follows God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. Now, folks, that's not even a complete sentence. And as I read it, I hurriedly went on to the second uh, verse, and suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, stop. Just stop right there. And I knew that I was having a rhema. Now, a rhema is where the Holy Spirit speaks to you out of a particular verse. It may be a verse you've read a hundred times, and it never meant anything to you. And suddenly you read it for the hundred and first time, it jumps off the page, grabs you by the throat, chokes you, and says, pay attention because you have a new need in your life or, or a new insight that the Lord wants to give you. So, I backed up and I read it again, read it again. I thought, this is not even a complete sentence. Why is the Holy Spirit telling me to read this thing? And then suddenly I thought, you know, I think God is telling me to do some study here to see how many different ways He spoke through prophets in Old Testament times. And so, I began to do that research, and I discovered to my astonishment that there were a number of ways that he spoke to the prophets. How about it, guys? Well, he certainly did, Dave. He spoke for a number of different kinds of prophets. First of all, he had, as you've already mentioned, speaking prophets, acting prophets, prophets that would use symbols. And so, the prophets themselves also had a, a wide variety of backgrounds, everything from shepherds to uh, farmers to kings were yes. prophetic in their ministry. People who were highly educated like Isaiah and people who were fig pickers from Tekoa. Exactly. When I was writing the, or co-writing a book on the minor prophets, it's amazing how you go through each of the different yes. minor prophets, and each one has such a different personality. Like you said, Amos was a fig pricker, and he <laughs> took care of this ugly sheep, and then, it, but he was sent to the north, and some were dealt with their local areas, but some had to travel, like Jonah, for instance, who had to go up to Nineveh. Some were very bold prophets, like uh, uh, Daniel, and then some were scaredy cats like Jonah. Like Jonah, right. Yeah, reluctant you, at best, if you could say. You've got like Zephaniah who was a nobleman, but then others like Hosea was just a poor country prophet. Well, let's just focus on those writing prophets for a moment. We have such a great variety of people, mm -hmm. but we also had a variety of styles. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, different ones. Some were narrative. They just told a story as they saw it. Others, the Lord would come to them in a dream or vision, and they would share that dream. For instance, Amos, he got dreams and visions, and mm -hmm. he'd share. Daniel would Ed do both. Him. Yeah, he would tell a story of what happened, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in the other times... Some would, were poets. Oh, absolutely. King David was a poet. So was Isaiah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, tremendous poet. So we had narratives. We had... Biographies, autobiographies. Jonah wrote an autobiography. Uh, we had some that were written like plays, like Habakkuk talking back and forth to God. And um, so there was a great variety of, of styles. Uh, um, and some were just preaching sermons, like the book of Jeremiah is mainly just sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. Yes. And of course, it's all his uh, experiences too, as Israel fell and, he, and the country was falling. He was the weeping prophet. So, you also have different emotions too, yeah, because oh, some oh, were yes. angry. They were yeah. they're just so tired of seeing the injustice in the world. And others like Jeremiah, who were so depressed to see that he knew that God's judgment had to happen, but it hurt him. Okay, so we had a variety of writers, a variety of uh, styles, and then you mentioned it, but let's go back. We also had a variety of inspiration, dreams, visions, and quite often, in fact, probably most frequently, a direct word from the Lord. The Lord said, Thus the saith Lord the Lord. Said. Exactly. And oftentimes these prophets were not well received even in their day and age. Sometimes they were, and they were revered. Pretty rare. Uh, that's that's pretty Zechariah, rare. Yeah, yeah, Samuel, that's about Samuel it. was yeah. revered, and, and the people would not do uh, anything. They didn't even want to act until Samuel had given them affirmation of a word from the Lord. But other times the prophets were not very popular either okay. to the king or to the people. Now the writing prophets are the ones that people know the best because they got a, they've got a book named after Right. But there's also some very important oral prophets that never wrote a book. Certainly For example. Are. Well, there's many oral prophets. I mean, you can go all the way back. What about the most famous ones? The most famous oral prophets. Well, uh, I can think of many who are famous but aren't oftentimes considered oral prophets. Well, how prophets. about Elijah and Elisha? Elijah, Elisha. Two of the most famous prophets in Old Testament. Exactly right. And so there are entire books filled with their prophecies, but they did not record them themselves. In they fact, spoke. the most important prophet who ever lived was primarily an oral prophet. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the closest he came to writing was his dictating those seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Certainly. But Somebody else recorded his prophecies. He I had to make a list here because there's a lot of them yeah. that aren't famous like that. You've got Samuel, of course, who at the Old Testament, but he had the four daughters of Philip. So it didn't have to be just a male. There were female sure. prophets, yeah. prophetesses. Yeah. You got Agabus, Micaiah, Ahijah, Hananiah. Say those names fast. There was even the man from Judah who prophesied the birth of Isaiah in 1 Kings 13. So guys that didn't write per se, but other books recorded Some their of those prophecies. were false prophets. Yes. They named those. Yeah, they they were oral prophets. I love the fact that even some of the great characters in the Bible had words of prophecy. So Abraham declared that the Lord Himself will provide a, a sacrifice. Now, that was a prophetic word that has tremendous messianic implications, but Abraham is not remembered as a prophet. And others, Enoch had a word, understanding. Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. And we have to realize that sometimes the prophets didn't just foretell, they foretold oh, the yeah. truth. And so Noah became a prophet because he was a preacher of righteousness. Well, you go in over an to the like and you find today. Moses a tremendous prophet, prophesying all about the end times, about Certainly. the scattering of the people all over the world, their regathering, about the fact that. The prophet will come one day. That's a messianic prophecy. And he even prophesied about the tribulation in the book of Deuteronomy. 
And they didn't Sorry. have to be human even. Their angels would come from the Lord like Gabriel came to Daniel to give a prophecy to Daniel. So a lot of the prophecies That's that Daniel had weren't his own prophecies that God gave him, although he interpreted dreams, but the angels would give the prophecies to Daniel as the yeah, message David of God. David gave the prophecy to Mary about yeah, what was, was going to happen say, to her. The Annunciation, part of which has already been fulfilled yeah. and part of which is still to be fulfilled. Well, great points. Well, what a variety we've got yeah. here. So we've got the writing prophets, of which there's great variety. We've got the, the uh, oral prophets. But I love the next category, the acting prophets. Sometimes... Oh. God would speak to an oral prophet or a writing prophet and say, stop writing, stop speaking, start acting, because He knew that acting would get people's attention. Yes, He did. So, give me some examples of acting. Alright, so well, we know that Isaiah at one point was told to shed his clothing and walk about naked, telling people, this is how you're going to live. For three you, years. He was the original yeah. streaker. Uh, he was a streaker and he was a, a holy one at that. Because but the message was, if you don't repent, God's going to strip this nation naked. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, what would people think today, Dave, if we went on the show and said, hey, guess what, folks, uh, this is what we're looking for in the future <laughs> if we don't change our evil ways. We talk about Jeremiah who was told to wear a yoke around his neck demonstrating that you all will be in subjection to a foreign power. He told them you are to surrender to the Babylonians and therefore they called him a traitor and tried to kill him. They certainly did. But they, he said, it's God's will for you to surrender. They, if you'll surrender, you'll live. They that's threw him in a pit. To what you said a little earlier about what united all the prophets was how widely unaccepted their messages were to the point where you find in Hebrews, um, they were sawed in two, they were persecuted, oh. they were killed. Amos was dragged out of town, they were stoned. There's very few of the prophets that their messages by God were, from God were accepted by the people. Always been true. We can think of, of others. Uh, Ezekiel was told to pack his bags and march around the city, demonstrating that your wall will be taken into exile. Another time he was told to go play in the dirt, build a ramp, and, and demonstrate through his actions that a siege would yeah, befall he, the city. Yeah, he was told, you know, put dirt up so it's like a wall and put little branches on it and indicate. When people come say, well, this is Jerusalem and these are siege machines and, and you're going to be conquered. But I, the one I love the most though is, oh, I know is you're when say. he... Uh, when he uh, cut off all his hair, uh -huh. and he, in front of everybody, he took one third of it and threw it in the air, and one third of it he burned, and one third of it he threw up in the air and chopped with a, with a, a, a sword. And I thought they must have called the funny form <laughs> and said, "It's time to come get this right, guy." Right. But he's, he's, his point was, if you don't surrender, here's what's going to happen: one third of you are going to be burned. One-third of you are going to be killed, and one-third of you are going to be taken into captivity. I think one of the prophets, as you've said, should get the Oscar for his <laughs> acting is Hosea, yes, because Hosea cool. had quite well. the burden that the Lord told him to go and demonstrate through his own marriage the kind of relationship God had with Israel. And so Hosea married a prostitute, and the Lord said, you should love her, and you should redeem her even when she is unfaithful to you. And boy, what a hard message that was what for was the people What was the message of, of marrying a prostitute? Well, Israel was spiritually idolatrous. They were committing adultery with Spiritual God. Adultery. They broke the marriage covenant. And so Hosea had to actually buy his wife out of bondage. She had left him. She got in debt. And back then when you were in debt, you were sold into slavery. And he spent money to buy his wife back to her just as God Grace. would send his son to die on the cross yes. to buy back Paid humanity. The price. Paid the price to well, redeem her. You have the whole gospel preached in Hosea. And it fits too that, that people learn differently. There are the audio people who learn audio. There's the visual people who learn visually. There's the uh, people have to touch and feel everything and experience things. So those three fit the different personality types for learning. And God knows how, how to get the message across to the different personalities. Well, He sure does. In fact, 
mention your book about the minor prophets because it's so good, and I oh, think people need to know about it. Well, uh, my co-writer Steve Hall and I, who's a pastor in Kansas, we wrote a book called 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets that explores the faith lessons each of the twelve learned, and each of the twelve minor prophets is vastly different than and each you other talk in about personality. Their lives. their lives, their backgrounds, their histories, those that gave it, like we don't know anything about Obadiah. But for the most part, each of them had a prophecy that the Lord gave them, and each style is very different. The average Christian today knows nothing about the minor prophets, and that's why I, I, yeah. I, they're just so full of so many wonderful lessons, and I just wish people would get your book and read it. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. We did it to help people grow in their faith, because the minor prophets had to learn to grow in their faith as Amen. well. Amen. Well, folks, uh, we have discussed three types of Bible prophecy, written, spoken, and acted. And We've looked at a lot of differences within those. Now, there's a fourth category, and it's my favorite. I'm speaking of symbolic prophecy, and we will talk about it after a short break. Hi, I'm Tim Moore. Many of you watching the Christ in Prophecy television show have been blessed by the teachings and information we've presented for years. Did you know that Lamb & Lion Ministries also produces a bi-monthly magazine called The Lamplighter? Every other month we publish a magazine filled with articles related to Bible prophecy. We highlight cultural trends and make observations about the current events of the day to point people to our soon returning King, Jesus Christ. If you become a Prophecy Partner, you'll receive the magazine automatically. If you're not a Prophecy Partner, you can receive the electronic version of our magazine at no cost. Or we'll be glad to mail a print edition to your home in the U.S. for an annual donation of only $25. Just call the number on the screen or go to ChristinProphecy.org to learn more. You know, Psalm 119.105 says, God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I hope you'll consider receiving the magazine that will shine the light of God's prophetic Word into your life. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our discussion of the varieties of Bible prophecy. Thus far we've discussed written, spoken, and acted prophecy. Now we're going to take a look at symbolic prophecy. Well Dave, since you said this is your favorite form, how about introducing it? Okay, well uh, folks, I'd be delighted to introduce this. One of the reasons I love this form of prophecy so much is because it will help you find Jesus throughout the Old Testament on almost every page. And what I have in mind is that people, events, and even inanimate objects can be a symbol of the Messiah and events in His life. Tim, let's begin with you. Give us an example. Okay, I'll give you two examples actually, Dave. I can think of David who was a shepherd boy, uh, rejected if you will to be the foremost in people's minds as a person going many places. Jesus Himself was rejected, and yet David was anointed. The other symbolic nature of David's reign is that he was anointed king, but he had to wait a long time okay. before he was coronated. King in waiting. A king in waiting. And We've Jesus, got a king in waiting right We now. have a king in waiting. He is reigning in Heaven, but he has not yet exerted his authority and reign here on earth. And so he is anointed, but not yet, not yet coronated, so to speak, here on earth. But the other great example symbolically would be Joseph. Mm -hmm. Joseph was a son of Israel. And he had visions. He understood the role that he was to play, and yet when he shared it with his own brothers, they scoffed and they resented him. As a matter of fact, they rejected him, cast him into a pit, and then sold him into slavery. He was taken into exile in a Gentile nation. He ended up marrying a Gentile bride, and yet the Lord worked through Joseph's life 
not only to save that Gentile nation at that time, but to in turn save his own brothers, who came to him not even aware of who he was, and bowing down before him just as he had foretold, and then finally recognizing and thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to want to, you know, come after us because well, we rejected Jesus. Well, Jesus was rejected by his own brothers, his people, the Jews. And so he has taken a Gentile bride, that being the church, and he has saved many throughout the Gentile world, and yet the promise still holds that he will save his own people, the Jewish people, as they turn to him, as they look upon him whom they have pierced, and as they return to him in great faith. And so the promise holds out, and Joseph becomes a symbolic prophecy of the entire gospel message. So, even though Jesus the Jewish life. people rejected Jesus originally, they're going to receive him at the end, they just as Joseph's will. brothers rejected him and received him at the end. Yes, and Jesus will be gracious, just as Joseph was, to receive them back. And that has been part of God's plan all along. Isn't that amazing? It the, really is. The line up between those. Look two. at the it's numbers beautiful. too, because you have the you have the twelve brothers, and then you have the twelve, the 12 apostles. Tribes. One fell, so you had eleven brothers being redeemed by the other brother. And so eleven apostles after Judas killed himself. And, and Joseph's own testimony, his brothers are regretful finally oh, yeah. for the way they treated him. He said, it was part of God's plan that even through your rejection and sending me here to Egypt, it was for your salvation. And so Jesus Christ was rejected by his brothers. And we think, well, that's tragic. And, and it is in its own right, but it was part of God's plan for the Lord to be able to work his will throughout the church age and then to redeem the Jewish people. Well, those are in the two end. good examples of people. What about events? Well, Jesus, or God, the Trinity, set up a series of feasts, seven feasts that would be prophetic in nature. So they're called the seven feasts of Israel. I'm not an expert on the feasts, I don't have them memorized in my head, so let me read them here. You've got Passover feast, which points to the crucifixion of Jesus, the crucified mm -hmm. lamb. You've got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is, deals with the burial of Jesus. You have the First Fruits, which is the resurrection of Jesus, and then Harvest or Pentecost, which points to the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. These were the spring feasts. There's a gap of three months, which would represent the church age. Then you have the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, which we believe will be looking forward to the rapture of the church, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, the second coming of Jesus, and then Tabernacles or Sukkoth, which is the Millennial Kingdom where God tabernacled with His people. We're waiting for Jesus to tabernacle with His people in the Millennial Kingdom. So, since four of the feasts were fulfilled prophetically, many looked at these next three All feasts, exact, day. exact same days. Right now, Jesus said we can't know the day or hour of His return, but the Feast of Trumpets actually covers a course of two days, so you don't know the exact day or okay. hour. So. And I think even within those feasts, Nathan, uh, people who study the Passover, for example, will talk about the various symbolic aspects of the Passover meal, the various elements that a Jewish family to this day will celebrate. For instance, the Afikoman, which is a piece of of bread that is broken. It is pierced and it is striped. And they can't say exactly how that tradition occurred, but it has to be pierced, it has to be striped, and then it has to be broken and hidden for a period of time. Just as Jesus had Just stripes. as Jesus was pierced and striped and was broken, and for three days he was hidden away. And then to great celebration. Yeah, they bring it back out. They bring yes. it back out and there's great rejoicing. It's resurrected, so to speak, <laughs> and shared by all and celebrated. And so there's so many symbols even within the various feasts themselves that are beautiful that out, it really is. and point to Jesus Christ. You got the bitter herbs, you got the cup left for Elijah, yes. which is you have the, the salt water talking about the tears of the Jews. Okay. There's so many symbols. Even yeah, the Jewish wedding has symbolic 
symbolic references to events that have taken place in the past and to prophetic promises that will be fulfilled in the future. That's a fantastic point because the Jewish wedding from Galilee is an exact symbol of Jesus Christ coming back with the Father sending Him to collect His bride. There's a movie out right now, Before the Wrath, which is really good that point shows that, that the first century wedding is a symbol of or a type of well, the rapture. Of the not church. just the wedding itself. You can go mm -hmm. to Jesus' first recorded miracle, the changing of water into wine, and you can see that the Creator God is taking water and turning it into something new, and they testify there at the, the yes. wedding itself, this is the best wine we've had, and you've <laughs> saved it to the last. Well, it was created by the Creator. And so, it is a beautiful symbol that Jesus is proving who He is, not only as the Messiah, but as the Creator. And so, the Bible is chock full of symbolic prophecy. I love it. We went to Israel. The first time I ever went to Israel, you took a film crew, I got to be the teleprompter guy on it, and Dr. Reagan did this fantastic presentation where he explained how the Ark of the Covenant was a yes. symbol. Could you explain that one? Please. Well, before we get to that, let me just summarize what you said here. Okay. You're saying there's seven feasts of Israel, four have been fulfilled, Passover, the spring feasts have been the fulfilled, right. Unleavened bread is uh, uh, perfect uh, life and, and uh, burial. And then first fruits, his resurrection. He was actually resurrected on first fruits. Mm -hmm. And then harvest was fulfilled with the establishment of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost. Yeah. Pentecost. So, so you've got those four. And then there's a long period. Just which like the we're church in age, right now, right? the church age. And then we got the and fall feast. And then three in the fall. And the first is trumpets, and that could very well be that that would be the day of the rapture. We sure. don't know for sure. Well, but because could. we hear the last trumpet yeah. coincides and with then, the raptures. And then you've got uh, the, the next one after Yeah, after Day of that. Atonement or Yom Kippur. Yes. And that's, that's when they will coming. look upon him whom they've pierced and weep and well in war. That's probably the second coming of Jesus. Yes. And then the last one is tabernacles. Mm -hmm. That would be the millennium. He's coming to Absolutely. tabernacle tab with us, to and dwell with, with us. us. Yeah, so we've got four fulfilled and three to look forward to. And even the days of creation, six days of creation and the seventh day of rest, 6,000 years of yes. history yeah. waiting for the final millennial kingdom, 7,000 years. Good and to point. this day, the Jews look forward to that, se that seventh millennium. I'm looking to, forward to it. And the, the dates of the Jewish calendar, we are approaching the 6,000 point. And, and of course, we don't know exactly how many years there have been since the creation. But in their dating system, it is approaching 6,000. And the, tradi the tradition is that there will be a millennium which will be the seventh period of a thousand years. Well, I know every time a feast of uh, trumpets comes along, my parents get real excited. They're hoping that's it, that's the rapture. And, <laughs> I, and uh, I, I keep an extra eye on it. I know what, when the, the feast of trumpets uh, is going to be and every year. And I'm like, hope. And when it doesn't happen, like, oh. Zola Levitt, who was probably the best known Messianic Jew of the 20th century, uh, told me one time that uh, he said, every year I get my calendar, I look for the feast of trumpets. And I put a big red circle around it, and I start praying earnestly as we approach it. Amen. <laughs> yes. I hope he's right. Well, yes, you mentioned the Ark of the Covenant. It's yeah, a tremendous symbol place. of of uh, Jesus. It was made of wood, which indicated the Messiah would be uh, human. It was overlaid with gold, which indicated he would be divine. Uh, it uh, had within it three items. One was the showbread, or or the uh, uh, the manna. I'm sorry, the manna. Uh, an example of manna, which indicated that he would be the bread of life. Uh, also in there was the um, uh, the staff, the staff that uh, budded, that budded a, a staff that budded, which indicated that he would come back from the dead, that he would be resurrected. 
And the third item, what was the that? The Ten Commandments. Yeah, the, the Ten tablets. Commandments. The law Which sometimes were beside it, but sometimes in it. But the, the law was in it. So those were the three things in it. And then on top was a mercy seat. Mm. And the mercy seat was once a year the high priest would go in, he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, sprinkle the blood on the ground. And this was a sign that through the blood of the Messiah that uh, the grace of God would cover the law of God. Uh, wow, wonderful. And, and also he sprinkled it on the ground which indicated that he was dying not only for the forgiveness of our sins but also for the restitution of the creation back to its original and perfected state. And the best part, what's on the lid of the yes. ark? What's that? Oh yes, and then on the lid of the ark uh, you had uh, two cherubim, one at each end, and they, their wings were over the ark touching each other, and the Shekinah glory of God resided above that. And when you understand that, then you can understand uh, what is said over in the uh, book of John uh, where we talk about the resurrection. And the women who go to the tomb, uh, listen to these words from John chapter 20 and verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beheld two angels in white sitting at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. Mm. And what that is is a fulfillment of the whole prophecy of the Ark of the Covenant. She saw where the body had been, that was the mercy seat. She saw two angels at each end just as was on the mercy seat. She saw the fulfillment of the whole prophecy of the Ark. And the Shekinah glory, the, the manifest presence of God, not just in, in an aura as had been in the Old Testament, but in the body and the person of Jesus Christ, and resurrected to great well, it, glory. It just, when you begin to see these things, you start seeing things all through there that you've never seen before, and never understood before, never recognized before. It's amazing. I, I, I just pray that people will will begin to study prophecy as they've never studied it before. Amen. Well, it gives you an insight into the mind of God too. How does He think He connects with people and He connects by showing all these different types of types and symbols that you might not get it at first, but when you read through the Bible later you're like, oh, that's what He meant. Well, that's why you need to keep reading through the exactly. Bible. Exactly. Yeah, there's always something. And that's why you mentioned the word rhema. The more you read the Bible, you can say, well, I've already read that. Well, read it again, because there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will enlighten yes. your heart, oh, will open your eyes, and it may be that hundred and first time <laughs> that you get a total discernment that was always there, but you never recognized it before. I think we're going to be studying this book throughout eternity because uh, God is infinite in His Word. I just think we're going to be shown things that we never saw before. Yes. It's going to be some great Bible studies. <laughs> Folks, all the material we've covered today you can find in Dr. Reagan's comprehensive book about all aspects of Bible prophecy. It's titled, God's Plan for the Ages, and it's now available in a new second edition. So, our announcer will tell you how to get a copy in just a minute. Well, folks, that's our program for today. I hope it has been a blessing to you, and I hope, too, the Lord willing, that you will be back again with us next week. Until then, this is Tim Moore speaking for Lamb & Lion Ministries, saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. 
If you would like more information about the varieties of Bible prophecy, plus detailed information about every aspect of God's prophetic word, you need to get a copy of the new edition of Dr. Reagan's book, God's Plan for the Ages. This book was first published in 2005, and Jack Van Impey wrote a glowing review of it. He said, God's Plan for the Ages offers a sweeping panoramic view of prophetic events, unlike anything I've ever studied, even after having read more than 11,000 books. The book covers every aspect of Bible prophecy, including major issues. The book runs 381 pages and can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. And with each copy ordered, we will supply you with a copy of Colonel Tim Moore's new 48-page booklet titled, Looking Forward to the Reign of Jesus Christ. This booklet explains why Tim has a premillennial view of end-time prophecy and why it matters. Just ask for offer number 152. You can place your order through our website at lamblion.com or by calling Calling the number you see on the screen, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time. Again, you can place your order through our website or by calling the number you see on the screen. Just ask for offer number 152. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 